You've got Ted Corliss with the Corliss Barfield Trial Group. It's difficult sometimes to work with individuals who are facing such harrowing experiences, but I have to tell you, over the 25 years that I've been a lawyer, I've seen so much courage come from people. Recently, I saw an amazing example of that by a family who was suffering because a life insurance company has decided to not pay the life insurance benefits that were purchased by the husband in the family. The entire family had spent time previously in the year before that preparing in the unlikely event that something would ever happen to him without provocation, awareness, warning, anything, approximately 10 months after he purchased the life insurance policy, the life insurance company denied the claim when he died. And I'm going to explain to you some of the things that they did and are continuing to do in that particular case. I can't tell you who the insurance company is. That wouldn't be very smart now, would it? But I will certainly explain to you what they're doing and what so many of these life insurance companies will do after the passing of the insured. We're going to continue to talk about this and write about this, and I invite you to take a look at our blog as well, which is at www.corlessbarfield.com. But let's get right to the question of life insurance. Life insurance is a contract between the insured, in this case it would have been the husband, and the life insurance company. The things that occur at the time of application are not necessarily what you think they might be. Certainly, you're asked to give a blood test. They usually will come do an EKG because they want to see if you've got a, a ruptured ticker that's going to pop immediately after they sell you the policy. Because here's the whole idea. Most life insurance companies that I've dealt with will sell as much possible insurance as they can, but they spend very little time examining any of the data that they got from you when they sold you the policy. And a good example of that would be they will ask you to fill out applications about your social history, different events in your life. Are you a cave diver? Uh, do you jump out of airplanes? Or how, do you have a family history of cardiovascular disease? These are the kinds of things that they're asking you about. And when you give them that application, what do they do with it? Well, most of these life insurance companies do nothing with it. What they do is they put it in an envelope or in a file somewhere and if you happen to die, if the contract allows it, meaning there's enough time left, they will come back and fly spec every piece of information that you provided to them. Most of these insurance companies will have either a one or two year period of time that they can come back and look to determine whether the information you provided was accurate. Now that means that say two years and a day, not only can the information be inaccurate, but you can even kill yourself under most of these life insurance policies and they still have to pay them. But what happens if the unexpected occurs and you die within those short periods of time? As I said, you would have filled out an application and now I can guarantee then they're going to go to work and they're going to take that application and they're going to gather as much information as they can about the insured and compare that information to every single data point that you provided to them. Now, it can be something as simple as they ask you, when's the last time you went to a doctor? And you say, I was there two years ago. 
and they you write down two years. Well, what if it was two years and six months? Well, they don't really like insuring people who have not seen a doctor for more than two years. Okay, well, when are they going to raise that issue with you? Well, they're not going to raise that issue with you at all unless you die. And if you die, then they're going to come back and tell the beneficiary they don't get the money because the insured misrepresented the application. Now, these are heavily regulated products, these life insurance policies, because believe it or not, they make so much money selling life insurance. Some of the biggest insurance companies in the United States are life companies, and they all do this exactly the same way. They do nothing to examine the data during the period of time uh, during which they can contest the information. And it doesn't matter what your intent is. If you said, I thought it was two years, it was two and a half years, that doesn't matter. The, the law in both the state and federal courts, in Florida at least, there is no innocent insured or innocent beneficiary. And so I say to you, when you are providing information, you either need to confirm that the information is accurate, and if you don't know the answer, you need to tell them that when you complete the application. And see, and then that puts the burden back on them. So here are a couple of high points that I want you to keep in your head as you're going through the process of applying for life insurance. And certainly, if you have an insurance company who's holding back and paying your claim, it may be a result of some of these individual uh, matters that I'm going to suggest to you. The first thing is the most important, and that is, you know how you refer to the person that sold you that life insurance as your insurance agent? You ever use that expression? You buy an auto policy and you talk about your State Farm agent? Okay, well, let me clean that up for you. That individual is not your agent. That individual is an agent, all right, for the insurance company, which means... For the most part, while they have duties to act in your best interests, they are not working for you. They are working for the insurance company. Their goal is to sell as many of these products as they can to the right kind of people. The right kind of people don't die, and the right kind of people stop buying their insurance after about 20 years. So they collect all these premiums for decades, and that agent is collecting a commission on your sales as long as that's occurring. And if you can remember that, remember everything that agent tells you that might be, oh, don't worry about this, or this isn't really going to be a concern, I can assure you after the individual dies early, that agent is going to lawyer up and blame everything on you. And if the beneficiary is the one who has to deal with this, the beneficiary may have never even spoken with the agent, may not even know who it is especially if you have a lot of business activities and your family is taking care of the rest of your life and you're out buying life insurance, your, your, your spouse has never met that agent, so they're not your friend and they're not there to help you. I'm not saying these are not hardworking, good people who are a valuable resource to you, but understand who butters their bread. The second thing I want to tell you is be very careful purchasing any kind of life insurance product where you are not in the same room as the agent. And I'm going to explain that. We have a case going right now where the insurance company failed to follow all of the regulations associated with the presentation of the policy. The presentation of the policy is where 
you sit down, you sign the document, and the insurance agent hands you what is referred to as a binder, which means at that moment, they have bound your life insurance coverage. When that happens, you have the benefit of sitting there, seeing all of the documents that are supposed to be in front of you. If you've got a claim or you've got a policy that is broken into pieces, for example, a lot of times if you were to buy $500,000 with a life insurance, it might come as a 250, a 50, and a couple of $100,000 policies. There's different reasons why that happens that are not relevant here. But the most important point is by being in the same room, you have the ability to resolve a lot of the common problems that insurance companies will rely upon because this is what happens so very many times. Let's say your agent is in the state of California and the reason you're, you're not living in California, wherever you might be, and you are communicating with them via email. So here, here's the fact pattern. They say to you, I want to sell you a $500,000 uh, life insurance policy. You say, okay, so what do we have to do? And the agent says to you, you know what? I'm going to take the application over the phone. I'm going to write the information down on the application. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to send you the application to review. That's the way it's supposed to be done. But what they do a lot of times is this. Here's the application. I'm going to fill it out for you and then they email you the signature page. They never show you what they actually wrote on the application. And then later on, when errors are discovered, and I'm going to tell you, of all the life insurance cases we've ever handled at my law firm, I've never seen an application for life insurance that didn't have at least three material errors. See, these applications can be seven, eight, nine, ten 10 pages long and even longer. And the agents consistently write down wrong information. Now, what's funny about that is their wrong information may very well be the basis later as to why the life insurance company is not going to pay your family. And what is your family going to do about that? They were not a part of that conversation. They didn't know that the agent didn't follow their own guidelines because according to most of these life insurance guidelines, they have to present the policy to you just like I described, sitting in the same room with them. And so if you're communicating with any of these agents or their office staff, which usually fills out the applications, they need to be done in a way as if you were in the same room. The last issue that I want to raise again is a little piece of advice, and that is honesty is always the best policy when it comes to purchasing life insurance. When you're filling out the application, you're going to be asked not just about your physical or mental health, they're also going to ask you about your financial status. And that's because the insurance company will tell you later, they probably won't tell you this now, but there is, believe it or not, a maximum amount of insurance that they would sell to any individual. They, they don't necessarily want someone who makes $50,000 a year buying $3 million worth of life insurance. The number that I've seen is they will take your last salary and multiply it by 15. And that's a lot of money. But what if somehow the agent decides to sell you more life insurance and they claim the reason for that is some piece of information that you gave them that now somehow justifies you buying more than their underwriting guidelines permit. 
So if you maintain that honesty and you give them the information they want, it may not get you the amount of insurance that you need. And then you need to figure out how to deal with that. But by being dishonest, you're not doing anyone any, any help. You're, not, no, you're doing no one any favors because what's really going on here is you're setting up a situation that can be cataclysmic for your family. Remember, we buy life insurance to make life easier. We don't do that to set up people who are going to have to deal with our mistakes. And by being dishonest on an application, you are very much threatening uh, the, the livelihood of your family who's going to have to solve this riddle for you. So here's the thing. Life insurance is a heavily regulated industry. It has very narrow rules about how it is purchased, how it is transferred, and how insurance companies can attack these individual applications. There is literally a statute in the state of Florida, 627409, specifically addresses misrepresentations on life insurance applications. And I can tell you those rules and laws heavily favor the insurance company in this context. So you have to be prepared to represent yourself, not when the loss happens or when the death happens, but you have to be make you have to cover yourself at the time you're actually purchasing it. Ask every question that you have of the agent, and if you don't like the answers, find a new one. Trust me, some of these guys, the guys and gals sell life insurance. I get phone calls six, seven, eight a week sometimes selling these products. If you've got a life insurance company that makes you uncomfortable, if something doesn't make sense to you, trust me, there are hundreds more that'll take their place. We want to continue to share with our listeners the experience that we have here. The experience in the life insurance industry reflects that it affects the most vulnerable people because these are the people who were supposed to be protected by the life insurance that is now not being paid. We know that the life insurance companies love to hire super nasty lawyers, which I'm dealing with right now on a particular life insurance case, whose job it looks like uh, to do everything they can to keep that claim from being paid. And if you know that, that this could possibly happen, but you put incomplete or dishonest information on your application, you are really making a mistake. I hope that you've benefited by understanding the perspective of representing people in this situation. If you have questions about a life insurance policy, either one that you're completing to purchase it, or if you have questions, especially if you recently had a passing of the insured and the insurance company is slow rolling your payments, you probably ought to pick up the phone and let's talk about it. My name is Ted Corliss. I'm a lawyer with the Corliss Barfield Trial Group. Be well.